From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. What I realized was that people could take a pretty good tongue lashing around the prophetic work of the Word of God, but that didn't motivate them to change because I wasn't connecting it directly enough to the systemic issues that were destroying people's lives. And that's why I love the book of Esther, because there's no way to really preach about the book of Esther and not talk about the impact of policies on people's lives. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Brenda Salter-McNeil. She's a dynamic speaker, an author, a professor, and a thought leader. Her mission is to inspire, equip, and empower emerging Christian leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation. Dr. Brenda, as she likes to be known, is Associate Professor of Reconciliation Studies at Seattle Pacific University and Director of the Reconciliation Studies Program. She's also Associate Pastor of Preaching and Reconciliation at Quest Church in Seattle. Dr. Brenda is an international trailblazer, leading individuals, communities, and organizations to biblical reconciliation. We're talking today about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. There's so much I want to dive into about this book. It's a book that's powerful and that I found really clarified for me some things in my own journey, and I want to get into all of it with you, but I want to orient my listeners by taking them back to a moment that you talk about in the book when you were at a protest in Ferguson, Missouri, and you're in this crowd on your left and on your right, and suddenly a protester, a young white male, goes up to the barricades that are there in front of one of the buildings and starts to shake the barricades back and forth. And you had a strong reaction in that moment. A lot went through your mind. If you will, take us back to that moment. Tell us what you were thinking and what happened next. Yeah, it's hard to forget because the energy, the tension, all of it was palpable. And just for background's sake, I had gone with a group of evangelical clergy from around the country. It was at the beginning of the Black Lives Matter protest after there was this, you know, kind of outcry around uh, Michael Brown being killed in the streets and left there for hours in the street. And so we had heard so much through the news media. It was hard to know what was fact and what was fiction, what was, you know, what was honestly happening. And so we were invited to come as clergy with no specific agenda other than to get close enough to the situation to figure out what was going on. So we had no intention of being in a protest, actually, but we were there when Eric Garner's decision, a man who was in New York who had been choked by the police, who had said over several times that he could not breathe, that chokehold ended up being fatal. And 
the decision not to indict those police officers came down while we we're in in Ferguson. So that gives your listeners some idea of how tense the environment was when we were there. All of that had spilled into the streets. And so watching this young white guy with blue spiky hair uh, kind of just doing his thing, it scared me. It scared the hell out of me, to be real honest. I felt like this kid who is trying to have his his reconciliation, social justice, fist in the air moment is going to somehow cause this thing to become so volatile that the police are going to have to react. And he's doing this probably because he's trying to be woke. We are going to find ourselves in the middle of a situation where he will probably get out of it okay maybe go to jail, but he'll he'll get bailed out. But some black and brown people in the street are going to get killed. And it really frightened me. So I got down on my knees. I had an image of Dr. King. I got down on my knees, not sure what would happen, but I remember Dr. King prayed when he was on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and I thought I would do the same. I was shocked when I opened my eyes that other people knelt down to pray as well. Well, and so this is an amazing moment because here is a person who is doing an act of kind of bravery, right? Going in front of the literally the walls of power and standing up to the walls of power. But what is really important to me in that moment is that this person had less risk. The man with the the white man with the blue spiky hair, you say he probably would have gotten out of there alive. But by doing that action, he was putting black and brown bodies in danger, almost as collateral damage. And that's, I think, a dynamic that we really need to really get into involving the way in which bravery involves risk at different levels for different people. And your book, Becoming Brave, is about capturing your own bravery. But what I love about this initial example is just because you're being brave, that doesn't mean that you're not necessarily putting other people in danger. And so at that moment, did you did you shout at the young man saying, stop, you're putting us in danger or your, your action of praying? What, what did you pray for in that moment? I'm not even sure. I just knew that this needed divine intervention. I knew that somehow, and sometimes prayers aren't just words. Sometimes prayers are the literal actions of our bodies, you know, because I think what I knew in that moment was that he did not recognize that his body was going to be perceived differently than my body or the young black man to my left's body. His body is a white body and that body was not going to be treated in the same way. So I I wanted my body to make a statement. I got on my knees as an older woman in that very young crowd to try to demonstrate that there is something more going on here that needs to be recognized, that this is not just our physical uh, witness to injustice, but we also have to, as I believe the Black church has demonstrated, we also have to bring in the element of the divine. That's what I wanted. I knew that this is not a moment for talking people down. This was a moment for somehow trying to model something differently. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest is Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. We're talking about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. Well, it's right there in the title of your book, Becoming Brave. You're talking about physically showing up to protests and being in the midst of these situations that are dangerous. But maybe in order for our listeners to follow along, let's take a moment and linger on this word. Why do you talk about becoming brave? What is the role that bravery plays in social justice and racial justice? 
Yeah, great question. I would say that this nurse notion of finding our courage is something that will look different for all of us, but, but no doubt feel the same. It's that moment, and you know that this book is based on the narrative of Esther, where we realize we come face to face with having to make a decision as to whether or not we will stay silent in the face of injustice, or if we will have to swallow hard and do something more than shake our heads and wring our hands. It's now that bravery is being called for. We're in the midst of a very divisive time in our country, and most of us see it, and many of us name it, but it is necessary now to have that moment where we say, this is going to require courage to speak truth to power. This is going to cause people who we've been friends with to see themselves as being on the opposite side of something we're now advocating for. And most of us don't want to to put ourselves in that position. We're not trying to just raise hell to do so. It's really a decision to decide that courage and bravery is that impulse that says, and I say impulse and then intentional decision to say, I cannot stay silent at such a time as this. I have to speak up. I have to step up. And for most of us, that will pull us out of our comfort zones to do so. That phrase that you just used, I cannot stay silent at such a time as this, that's a a quote almost directly taken from the book of Esther. And my listeners, if you have never read the book of Esther, after this program is over, go over to your bookshelf, pull down the Bible, it's there in the Old Testament. It'll take you probably half an hour to read the whole thing carefully if you've never read it before. But just in case there are listeners out there who are unfamiliar with the story, Dr. Brenda, if you would, could you just quickly walk us through the main points of the book of Esther? Yeah, and I'd love to do so because this is such a a book that covers so many different faith traditions. I have a very dear neighbor who's Jewish, and she was amazed that I, as a Protestant Christian, wrote a book around this narrative that means so very much to her, her family, and her faith tradition. So basically, there's a young woman who is probably a teenager. She has had a difficult life, and probably none of us would have picked her to be a leader, nor less was she looking to be in leadership of any type. She was trying to have a normal life like most of us. And so she finds herself in a social, political, cultural moment like we are in right now, where she gets swept into this political situation that puts her in a place where she is taken from her father figure and is now brought before the king to be chosen as one of many women who were taken to be considered as the next queen of this Persian empire. She somehow wins this ability to save her life and become the next queen. And and all was going well until her father figure, Mordecai, lets her know that people's lives are going to be destroyed because of political decisions that are being made by the very king that she has now become the queen of. And he now comes to her and says, you've got to speak up because you can't keep silent at such a time as this. And uh, I was compelled to look at that story through our life and our situation and look for some very clear calling for us to do a similar act of looking at our, our worldview, our situation, and asking what is Mordecai calling us to be courageous enough to do? What would it mean for us to speak truth to power? 
I was so thrilled when I realized that the central theme of this book was a rereading of the book of Esther and your book Becoming Brave. Esther is one of my favorite stories. And so as I watched you sort of going through this, this, this book, the book of Esther is one that I have read and reread many, many times. But I found myself as I was turning pages and you were making these concrete connections, I was saying to myself, I never thought of the book of Esther this way. I never thought of the book of Esther this way. So you're really making the book of Esther concrete for this moment. You're really bringing it into 2020 and making it clear to the reader how it applies in this day and age. Some of the things, and we'll get into this in, as, as our conversation continues, but, but just quickly, what was it that grabbed you and made you say, ah, this, this is what I want to bring into my book, Becoming Brave. This is the backbone that I need. Had you been familiar with the book of Esther before, or was it, was it the Holy Spirit that brought you to it to suddenly say, <laughs> oh my goodness, and, it, and this is perfect, I'll use this. How did that come about that you decided to use it? Yeah, you know, what's important for me to confess is that this book wrote me. Mm. And I really do mean that I started out thinking I was writing a book on leadership. But what I now know is that when you are in a prophetic moment in history, you give yourself over. I had to give myself over to a process that took over five years to complete. I thought this book was late. Literally, three years prior, I thought this book should have been finished. I had no idea that this book would come out at this time where we need this message more than we have ever needed it for such a time as this. So I wish I could take credit for having been that creative and that wise. Literally, I do believe that there was divine intervention. I think God knew that this message for for faith-filled people was necessary now, that we would find ourselves living smack dab in the middle of an Esther moment. That's where it came from. I wish I had a better story, but that's what happened. As we're moving towards our first break, I wonder for those who who are just hearing about this for the first time and just hearing about your book, Becoming Brave, for the first time, if you could sum up what the central argument of the book is for my listeners, I think that will help to propel us into going deeper in the conversation when we come back from break. But if you could just sum up what is the main argument of Becoming Brave? Sure. We are all living in a strategic time in history that requires us to make a conscious decision to use our voice and our influence for the good of others for such a time as this. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest today is Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. She's a dynamic speaker, author, professor, and thought leader. Her mission is to inspire, equip, and empower emerging Christian leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. We'll be back in a moment. Each week here at Things Not Seen, we dive deep into the tough questions about culture and faith. Questions are a sign of growth, and it's way easier to hear the answers when others join in the asking. That's why I'm excited for our sponsor, BeADisciple.com. It's the social hub for all your spiritual quandaries. One click away at BeADisciple.com. 
scroll through their affordable, ecumenical, accredited, short-term online courses, all taught by content experts. Here you'll be in the company of others where it's safe to discuss hard questions. If you have questions and are looking to grow, enroll in a course today and ask away at BeADisciple.com. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you enjoy these conversations that we're having, please visit our website at thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find almost 10 years of these kinds of conversations for your listening pleasure, all for free. Our guest today is Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. She's a dynamic speaker, an author, a professor, and a thought leader whose mission is to inspire, equip, and empower emerging Christian leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation. Today we're talking about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. Before the break, we were talking about the fact that the book of Esther from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible, was a central theme that you reflected on and meditated on throughout your book, Becoming Brave. And again, for listeners who may be unfamiliar with the book or haven't read it in a while, one of the things that happens in Esther is it really is a story about a person who is brought as close as possible to the halls of power and has has basically kept themselves masked and hidden in the place of the halls of power. And at one particular decisive moment, Esther reveals herself at great personal risk in order to try and save her people, the Hebrew people, from their utter destruction. I want to linger for a moment on that moment of decision when someone has the possibility of staying hidden or becoming known. And you talk about this so much in your book, Becoming Brave. Help us to think about What does it feel like to be in that moment, and what is it that drives someone to reveal themselves and to risk something in order to help others? Yeah, you know, I'm really glad you asked because if we're not careful, we can make Esther or the figure of Esther somebody special, different. You know, she was a queen. And so I like her story because she really is, for me, analogous of an everyday, ordinary, have had struggles in our lives people, right? And and I really wanted Christian people who say they care about reconciliation, they say they care about about diversity. They say they care about inclusion and this notion of civility and democracy and all those things that we all espouse. But I think that this notion of becoming brave and concealing ourselves is I think we've learned in this country and this is and maybe around the world, but this notion that we don't want to rock the boat, we don't want to cause too much of a stir. So we have our own thoughts, but we don't keep them to ourselves. Maybe we stay in echo chambers with people who think the same way that same way that we do, but we don't really talk too much about it in polite circles. Esther's story says to all of us that there comes a time where we can no longer protect ourselves or live in our own bubbles, stay in our little cul-de-sac, protect just our kids. There comes a time where it's bigger than us. It's not just about us anymore. And our silence is complicit. So when young people in the street say silence is violence, they're right. It is not a 
good thing to be a good Christian, watching injustice happen all around us and not say something or do something about it. That's what I mean by hiding. It's not so much that people don't know who we are. It's just that we've concealed enough of ourselves that we don't take the risk to really confront the injustice that's happening around us. That's what Esther has got to come to the conclusion about. And that's what we've got to come to the conclusion of. Are we going to stay silent and keep hiding behind our job or our church or our academic you know, careers or whatever it is we're trying to keep? Are we going to keep hiding behind those things? Or are we living in a time where we have to speak up now? Another aspect of the book of Esther that you broke open for me that I had never thought about before. There's a point in the book of Esther where Esther hears that this father figure, Mordecai, has sat down in front of the palace gates in sackcloth and has begun to pour ash on his head in lament. And this is untypical behavior for Mordecai. And so Esther sends word to him and says, what's going on? And Mordecai comes back and says, don't you know there's this order that has gone out that we're all going to be killed? What I didn't understand about the book of Esther, what you showed to me in your book, Becoming Brave, about the book of Esther, is that Esther was so close to the seat of power, to that decision, but she never knew that that decision was made until someone who was affected by it on the outside told her about it. And I think about that as a white person, how oftentimes I am blinded by my own proximity to power, my own access to the palace, if you will. And that for me was, in reading your book, a quickening moment where I suddenly realized, oh my God, I'm blind. I'm blind because if I'm, if I'm only listening to the powerful, if I'm only listening to the people that I'm close to, I'm missing the damage that's happening beyond the palace gates. To me, that was such a tremendous moment. Help my listeners to understand that dynamic of being close to power, but not understanding the decisions that power is making. Yeah, and it's so important because I think that that's true for so many people. We can, we do get in palaces, if you will. The church can become a palace where we literally just don't know what's going on. You know, the social media platforms that we visit and the only people's feeds that we read can become this kind of isolated insulated place where we're actually ignorant of what's actually happening. So that's why I really do think we should listen to what young people are protesting about. We should listen. Are, is that our usual? My guess is that most of the people listening to this program, that's not where we find ourselves. I'm telling you, I had no intention of being in a protest when I found myself in the middle of Ferguson. But I'm telling you also that to get proximate to what is really happening opens our eyes and helps us to realize, one, how far from the reality we actually are. And that's important for us to recognize. And then to realize that my being a college professor puts me in places of influence that I could actually use to advocate on, on behalf of change. And so I really am just touched. And let me tell you another story about being there. There was a young Palestinian woman who I didn't know she was Palestinian. She looked like a young white girl to me. 
I was crying throughout the protest, everybody. So I was not the beacon of, <laughs> of strength and courage. I was just crying about so much of what I saw. And, and right now in the middle of streets, there's so many young people putting their lives on the line for what they believe in. And one young woman came up to me. She was a short, young, what I thought was a white woman. She had a little red kind of skull cap, a little beanie on her head. And she saw me crying. She took my hand. She took my her fist, her hand, and put it on top of mine and balled our hands together. Then she punched my fist up in the air with her hand holding mine. And she said, from Palestine to Ferguson. And I thought, whoa. My guess is that she was an international student because there were a lot of college students there in Ferguson from WashU. And I guess she might have been an international student. And she was basically saying what's happening to you here is happening to us there. But so many of us don't know what's happening to people there because we're not close enough to it to understand that here we do sit close to the seat of power. And there are legislative decisions being made that impact Palestinians. And many of us don't care, don't know, because we're not close enough to what's really hurting people to know how to use the access we have to advocate on behalf of change and justice and reconciliation with the power structures that we get to influence almost every day. So that's been my lesson, and it's been a big lesson, and I'm really grateful that you asked me, because these are the places where the rubber meets the road, and we have to move past telling people that we're sending our thoughts and prayers. I want to linger for a moment on that image of the woman taking your hand in hers and saying, from Palestine to Ferguson. Sometimes when a person talks about their experience and their pain, there's a reaction, particularly on the part of people of privilege, white people especially, to do what's called whataboutism. Well, what about this other tragedy? What about this other thing? What I'm hearing you saying is that you didn't experience that moment of someone co-opting your pain, but instead being in solidarity with your pain and saying, what you're feeling here, I felt in another place. So it wasn't erasing your experience. It was adding to your experience. I want to make sure, first of all, have I heard that correctly in what you're saying? Absolutely. And I have been to Israel, Palestine, and I have walked the streets of many of the, the places where I've read about and never experienced. And I saw what it looked like to not have enough water. I I saw tanks on tops of people's houses where very wealthy people who ha are well, well meaning and, and who have are people of means is how I'm trying to explain that. And I found that even those people would say to me, please don't let the water run without, you know, Cut it, cutting it off quickly because we get a tank of water and it doesn't matter how much money we make as a Palestinian. And if we use that water, we don't get any more water. And I've come back to the United States and recognized environmental issues. I recognize the waste of things here in a way that I didn't see until I got proximate to people who are very conscious of those limitations. So yes, you did hear me correctly. And not only did I feel a solidarity, her solidarity with me, it led me to have a solid solidarity with her. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. She's a dynamic speaker and author, a professor and a thought leader, and her mission is to inspire, equip, and empower emerging Christian leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation. Today we're talking about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. 
A moment ago, you said when we were talking about palaces and being blinded by being too close to power, you said that sometimes the church can become a palace. And I'm aware at several points in your book, Becoming Brave, you talk about young people being frustrated with the church and saying to church leaders, we're going to be at this particular place at a particular time. Are you going to show up? And the the challenge to the church is, will you actually put your money where your mouth is? Will you actually put into action the nice platitudes that you say? And it seemed to me almost like there was a divide between the church talking the talk and the young people walking the walk. Talk to me about that divide and how we might overcome that divide. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you asked. You know, and you've already announced that I'm a college professor. I'm around young adults a lot, and they've lost confidence in the church. They see our hypocrisy. They see our complicity with injustice. 70 million people, many of whom were white evangelicals, all church people, voted for a continuation of what we have seen over the past four years in the United States and basically said that that was okay. And for anybody who thinks that I'm somehow making a political statement or a partisan statement, if you will, around what party won, I'm not. I'm talking about the values that we as Christians say that we hold to, honesty, integrity, credibility, that there is a sense of fidelity in one's marriage, that there is a sense of justice and all those things that we believe the Bible calls us to, that we care for children, that we protect life. And then we say nothing about children who are separated from their parents and over 600 of them can still not be reunited with parents. That is inhumane. And when Christians somehow make that okay, our young people, and not just young people of color, not just students who are black and brown, I'm talking white students, no longer want to go to church. They see this for what it is. They see that there's a lack of integrity and a lack of truthfulness, and it makes them doubt their desire to be a part of God, the organized gathering called church. They'll say to me, I believe in God, but I don't want to be a part of this type of hypocritical justification of that which is not justifiable. And the more we do that, church, the more those of us who are not in the young adult category, the more we do that, we're losing a generation of young people who no longer believe the church is relevant or cares about the things that the Bible says matters. And so with that in mind, I thank God I literally thank God that they are saying there's a difference between this God that you talk about and the behavior that you demonstrate. And because of that, we want to be spiritual, but we're we're not wanting to be Christian. I hope that they call us all to a point of reckoning, because if we're not careful, there's going to be a, a generation of young people who will be lost to the church. Now, there have been times when the church has absolutely shown up during history, American history particularly, to be on the front lines. So thinking about the civil rights movement, but also thinking about the temperance movement and the other points where in abolition, where the church has stepped up and has been publicly accountable. Something happened in the last 40 or 50 years and something to make the church go quiet on these issues. And I wonder if you have some insight for my listeners about what it was that made the church decide to become cozy with power and how we can maybe awaken the church to this Esther moment. 
You know, I think that we have never had a true uh, reckoning around the history of race and human difference in this country. I think we like to tell a story that's more glowing than than it actually is. Dr. King was called a communist and the church did not stand with him in mass. Basically, he was assassinated because he stood up for justice and reconciliation. He stood up for a lack of militarization. And so I'm finding that in truth, we haven't stood up as much as we said. There's a book that's not mine that I had my college students read, and it's called The Color of Compromise by a young man named Jamar Tisby. And it's a slow walk of how I have had to grapple with the fact that the church has been complicit with injustice and racism for a very, very long time. But we don't tell the truth about that. And so I think that if we believe that the Bible is right, and I do when it says the truth will make us free, we have to tell more of the truth about where we really are, what we've really done, and what we really need to repent of as a church, as the people who represent the kingdom of God. So David, let me say this to you. I have never been shy, and I've never not been prophetic. So when it says that I'm becoming brave, I've been pretty strong-willed for a mighty long time. You can just ask my mom. <laughs> I I have been a strong-willed, pretty, pretty strong leader-type person since a child. This is what's changed. I am now being more truthful and not as gentle with trying to assuage white guilt. I now have to say, no, it's not true that we have all the time been a part of the change movement. Some people have, that's for sure. Thanks be to God. But I had to come to grips with the fact, and I didn't know this, maybe you didn't. Did you know that you had to be a a Christian to join the Ku Klux Klan? It wasn't just a thing that you happen to be a Christian. It was a prerequisite to be a Christian, to be in the Ku Klux Klan, hence cross burnings. All of that to say this, and I'll close right here. For me, now that I say those kinds of things, I had a white man. I think he was in his middle age. I don't know him personally. He said this on Facebook. He said to me, based upon his picture, and I'm assuming he was in his 40s, maybe early 50s, he said, and I quote, We liked you better when you just quoted Bible verses. And it hurt. But what he was really saying was, as long as you talk about reconciliation in a way that does not offend or call white people to account, we'll like you. If you start talking about this kind of stuff, now see, we're probably going to not invite you to speak anymore. And that's what's requiring me to be brave, that I face those consequences knowing that it is nicer just to tip around the edges of it and not call it what it actually is. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. She's a dynamic speaker, author, professor, and thought leader whose mission is to inspire, equip, and empower emerging Christian leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation. She's Associate Professor of Reconciliation Studies at Seattle Pacific University and Director of the Reconciliation Studies Program. Today we're talking about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. 
Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find almost 10 years of these kinds of conversations, all available for your listening pleasure for free. Today, we're talking to Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. She's a dynamic speaker, author, professor, and thought leader whose mission is to inspire, equip, and empower emerging Christian leaders to become practitioners practitioners of reconciliation. Today we're talking about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. Before the break, you were saying that what the church has failed to do is really have a moment of recompense. And when you said that, it made me think again about the book of Esther, because as Esther is gathering her courage, her bravery to present herself to the king in order to advocate for her people, she does something very particular. She says to all the people of the Hebrew race that are in the various parts of the kingdom, for the next three days, I need you to join me in fasting and in prayer. So she doesn't go in alone. She bathes herself in that spiritual power of others fasting and praying with her. And I'm wondering as we're thinking about the need for the church to make recompense, what would fasting and praying look like for the church in 2020, for its complicity and its silence around the violence and the the horror that has been happening in our country? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. I think that it would require a humility. And that's why we said earlier in, in our conversation that when someone says, you know, Black Lives Matter, and then we get the what if, you know, or how about, so don't all lives matter? It's that back and forth stuff. I think prayer brings us to a place of humility. Prayer says, God, we can't do this on our own. We don't know enough. As human beings, we are all given to see through a glass dimly and see our own image better than it actually is. So help us to look in a mirror, really hear what's being said to us. Help us, Lord, as opposed to being so defensive and always trying to explain things away. Help us to believe that together, if we together could actually humble ourselves and seek your face and literally turn from that which we know are wicked ways, we could actually see you heal our land. And that's what I believe is necessary now. This is not strategic stuff. This is a need for a healing, a pervasive healing. And that's why I preach so hard. That's why I write from the bottom of my heart, because I believe that ultimately God's work through God's people could make the difference that changes everything. But we have got to understand that we play that role, that that's how significant our spirituality and our connection to God is to what makes us relevant in the world around us. That's why we can't align ourselves with power just for the sake of winning. Because when we abdicate our spiritual authority, whatever else we sold that out for, it cheapens and weakens our real ability to make a difference. 
I want to circle back to a phrase you just used. You said that you, you preach so hard and you write from the heart. But before the break, you were talking about the fact that sometimes people would push back against you and say, we liked you better when you were simply just saying things from the pulpit that were making us feel good and were just quoting the Bible to us. So something shifted. You weren't just preaching the word, but you were preaching the word, it seems to me, in a way that suddenly began to agitate people and make them uncomfortable. Talk to my listeners about that shift? What changed from simply bringing polite biblical truths to bring the biblical truths that make people itch a little bit or maybe a lot? Yeah. I remember someone who knows me very well wondered when that person said that to me about how we liked you better when you just quoted Bible verses. People who know me well say, you've never held back. You've always been prophetic. When did you just quote Bible verses? That's never been you. And that would be accurate. So I would not like to give the impression that somehow I've been a shrinking violet and never telling the truth. Instead, as a speaker, I respected my audience. And what I believed was that this was a problem with just not understanding that this was a biblical call on the people of God, that reconciliation wasn't some, uh, political agenda, some social political agenda that I was kind of bringing in. But ultimately, it was rooted in the Bible's call to people who are people of faith, genuinely a Christian call for God's people to engage this work. So I thought, and I think wrongly so, that if I avoided saying things like talking about issues that I knew would immediately make people think I had a hidden motive like abortion, I wouldn't bring those homosexual you know, sexuality. I wouldn't bring up the issues of sexuality, of abortion, of immigration, those kinds of issues that people instinctively assume are left or right. And so many people used to say, well, if you just aren't angry, see, then we could hear it. If you just, you know, talk to us and showed us where it was in the Bible, then that would really make us change. And I thought that that was true. And so for years, I thought if I can be biblical enough, intellectual enough, if I could be kind enough and patient enough, if I could really do the work of showing people that I have no hidden agenda or any hidden motive, that they... As Christians would sincerely hear the rigor of the word of God, and they would kind of go, whoa, this is what God is calling us to do. And I believed it would lead to the transformation that scripture says happens when there is a renewing of our minds. What I realized was that people could take a pretty good tongue, tongue lashing around the prophetic work of the word of God, but that didn't motivate them to change because I wasn't connecting it directly enough to the systemic issues that were destroying people's lives. And that's why I love the book of Esther, because there's no way to really preach or teach or write about the book of Esther and not talk about the impact of policies on people's lives. One of the things that strikes me about what you just said is we've been talking throughout this conversation about the book of Esther. But one of the things that you point out in your book, Becoming Brave, is that Esther's not actually her name and that her name gets changed and that actually we should call her by a different name. I believe the name is pronounced Hadassah. Exactly. Yes. And you make the connection in your book, Becoming Brave, that 
oftentimes power does this. It renames and re-narrates. It takes a story of pain and turns it around on itself and hands it back and says, see, it wasn't so bad. The bully who says, I was just joking, or the one who says, well, this was all in the name of peace. And I want to I wanna linger with you on that process of renaming and re-narration, of stealing the name of someone and twisting it and giving it back, stealing the story of someone and twisting it and giving it back. What is that process like, and how can the church begin to interrupt that process and allow people to reclaim their names and their stories? Yeah, I think that it that's the work I think of those who are on the margins. And I think those who are in the places of power, the dominant culture, that's where the humility comes in. That's the beginning of saying as a this is where we need to listen to what they're saying, as opposed to arguing about it, debating about it, and all that stuff that people do, right? How about listening to it? How about trying to hear? Because when what you just described happens, when those in power retake over the narrative and rename it, as opposed to saying this is about people's lives mattering. No, no, it's not. It's a Marxist movement. You know, that's that's kind of what power does. Power says we're going to tell you the story. But I have come to find that the narrative has to be owned by the people whose lives are being impacted by it. Let them tell the story. There's an African proverb that says that as long as the that as the hunt is told by the hunter, we'll never hear the perspective from the lion. And so we've got to hear what does the hunter say, but we also have to hear what does the hunted have to say. Those who find themselves constantly at the end of a police a brutality uh, situation, and they feel like I don't know what to do to avoid this. How does a young man, Ahmad Aubrey, go for a jog, stop to look at a house under construction and get shot to death in the street? How does that happen? And if we keep making excuses for it and not listen to the narrative and let the story be told from his family and his community's perspective, we'll always stay in this revolving door that never leads to true healing and reconciliation. That's why Esther had to come out of hiding. That's why I've had to become more direct. It's not because anyone has any desire to be divisive. It's not that. It's that the courage necessary to save people's lives and the soul of our nation is on the line. And unless we all decide to begin to speak up and stand up for that, we're all going to find ourselves in a situation that will almost be irreparable. And that's what I believe is necessary when those who have hidden themselves come out of hiding and begin to set the agenda. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. She's a dynamic speaker, author, professor, and thought leader whose mission is to inspire, equip, and empower emerging Christian leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation. We're talking about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. 
In the first part of our conversation, you made the comment that the book of Esther is not about some superhero. Even though she becomes a queen, she starts as just an ordinary person, and in fact, an ordinary person from the margins. And so I'm wondering now, as we're moving towards the conclusion of our conversation, I imagine that some of our listeners to this conversation have felt a stirring. And they're like, I need to speak up more. I need to become, but they may be telling themselves the narrative that may be going through their heads is I'm nobody. I'm not anybody special. I don't have the power to do this. What would you say to someone who is struggling with that, who thinks that they're too ordinary or, or too powerless to begin this work of becoming brave? What would you say to them to put them on the first steps to start to do the work? Yeah, this is what Mordecai said to Esther, and I believe this is what's being said to all of us, me included. There comes a time, he said to her, he said, if you keep silent at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We are living in one of the most strategic, divisive, painful times in moment of history that I've lived in. I've been preaching and teaching for over 35 years on reconciliation, and I have never seen more hostility and racial hatred in the ways that I'm seeing it in the streets. I've never seen things like people, white militia, show up at a governor's office with guns and attempt to, to kidnap her. I've never seen the type of violence where epidemiologist Dr. Fauci is getting death threats. When I say to you, I am sincerely concerned about the health of our country, and this is a matter of everybody, no matter how old or how young, how rich or how poor, for us all to make a decision about who we want to be as a country. And this is where we use our circle of influence, and we all have one, to begin to speak to and influence those people who listen to us. If that means that we're a teacher, then that means we teach in a way that begins to tell the truth to students and we begin to affirm the identity and, and the dignity of all people. When we hear comments made, the way we vote matters, the things we advocate for, the way we stand up for people who are being accosted in, in public places. There was a Chinese woman in Costco recently in Seattle who went in to purchase something and a woman came up to her and basically berated her in the middle of the store. I'm saying and I'm calling on all Christians when we see that kind of behavior, we don't just shake our heads. We go form a circle around that one woman and we don't let her stand there alone. It's that type of bravery that I believe I'm looking for right now. I'm looking for nobodies like Esther and me and all of us who don't think we have all that much power to make a difference. I'm talking to this radio program today because there's small little ways that we can use our voices. We can use our platforms. We can use our social media feeds. We can use our influence on our job to begin to advocate for real change because most of us know that what we see is not right. We're just not saying anything and we think we can't 
do anything. But the truth is, every little bit helps. And that's what Esther came to understand, that this was not an option for her. And it's not an option for us. This is our moment. And we have got to seize the day. What's so powerful for me about what you just said, and what I what I heard ringing out was when Christians are in the room, those who are vulnerable, those who are in danger, they should feel protected because the Christian should form a ring around them. I don't think Americans think about Christianity that way. And I'm thinking now about a moment in your book, Becoming Brave, when you're talking to two students from Singapore and their experience about what it's like to become Christian in Singapore as opposed to what it's like to be a Christian in the United States. I think this would be a time when my listeners might benefit from hearing about the experience of these two students from Singapore. What did they say about becoming Christian? Yeah, and I'm so happy to tell the story. His One's name is Mark and the other is Peter, and I have a graduate student from Singapore this year in my class, and she knows them. So they still are doing their work in Singapore. We were graduate students at Fuller Seminary. I told them that the way we become Christians in this country is that after we preach a sermon, we, at, we have an altar call, and people come to the altar, and they become Christians. And they said, we'd never do that. And I was taken aback. I thought to myself, why not? Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, you get them to make a decision. He said, if someone could make a decision that quickly and that lightly, we would say to them, go home and really count the cost of this. Think about whether or not you're willing to be disowned from your family for this. If you're willing to lose your job for this, think about what this could really mean for you. And if you still want to become a follower of Jesus, you come back to us and we'd be happy to lead you to Christ. That's the kind of commitment that I believe we're going to have to have here. Our discipleship has been watered down to a good relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my personal savior. I invited Jesus into my heart and we never quite got it straight that it's a cost of following Jesus, that following Jesus is pursuing the kingdom of God that is made up of every tribe and every nation and every language group and every ethnic group. That's what revelation says the kingdom of God is, that it's a place where the lion and lamb lay down together. There is environmental justice and we study war no more. If we're not moving toward that, we're not moving toward the kingdom of God and we're not following Jesus. So those of us who are preachers, we've got to begin to preach that message because Peter and Mark in Singapore are right. We've not caused people to understand that when we get reconciled to God, we're also reconciled to each other, and it should cost us something. Well, Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, I will just say your book, Becoming Brave, it changed the way I think about the book of Esther, but it also changed the way I think about my public presence platforms like this radio show and the teaching that I do in classrooms. I want to be more brave as a result of reading your book. And I want to thank you for taking the time to write the book and for taking the time to talk to me and my listeners about it today. It's such an important message, and I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me, David. This has been my absolute pleasure. We've been speaking with Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. 
She's a dynamic speaker, author, professor, and thought leader whose mission is to inspire, equip, and empower emerging Christian leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation. Dr. Brenda is Associate Professor of Reconciliation Studies at Seattle Pacific University and Director of the Reconciliation Studies Program. She's also Associate Pastor of Preaching and Reconciliation at the Quest Church in Seattle. Today we've been talking about her recent book, Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.